You're listening to Mentoring Developers, episode 92. Welcome to Mentoring Developers, the podcast for new and aspiring software developers, where we discuss your struggles, anxieties, and career choices. And now, here's your host, Arsalan Ahmed. In this episode, I'll be talking to Guy Royce. Guy works for Redis Labs as a developer advocate, combining his decades of experience in writing software with a passion for sharing what he has learned. Guy goes out into the developer communities and helps others build great software. And it's our pleasure to welcome him to the Mentoring Developers podcast today. Hi, everyone. Welcome once again to Mentoring Developers This is a podcast for you if you are a new developer or you want to be a developer and you're not sure how to start and you think maybe you're not cut out for it. Maybe you are. You should keep watching and keep listening to this. Today, my guest is Guy Royce. He has a very interesting story and I really, really want you to hear his story and, and get some lessons out of it. He actually went into the prison system where he was teaching convicts Programming, software development, that's a first. I've never heard that before. And for me, I'm, I'm really excited because I really want to know all the details of why he would do that, what was his experience like, and then we can get into what got him interested in this. Guy, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Fantastic. It's so good to finally be able to connect with you. But I'm really curious to know this prison story. What happened there? Well, it all started in Tijuana. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, it was a, a guy I worked with, a guy by the name of Dan Wiebe, uh, ran this program at uh, Marion Correctional Institute in Marion, Ohio, uh, where he went in and he would uh, teach uh, uh, inmates uh, how to code. Uh, he, he was teaching them Java. They were doing TDD and all the agile practices that were uh, that that are. Um, well, that were very vogue at the time and I think are still quite commonly used. Um, they're just not news anymore. And um, this is just a program he was running. And, um, you know, and it was this thing that kind of grabbed me. Uh, it's a thing that I've always cared about a little bit, uh, cared about, uh, cared about a lot, actually. There's uh, prisoners are sort of people that are, um, well, they're going to get out of prison someday. And, you know, we and when they get out, we don't want them to go back in. <laughs> uh, that's bad for society. You know, if they get out and they commit crimes, they find themselves back in prison. And one of the main determiners of whether they uh, uh, commit recidivism, if they, they go back to prison, is um, if they can get a good job or, or any job. And if you're um, an ex-offender, if you've got if you've got a record, if you've been in prison, you've got a lot of uphill battles. Uh, to getting jobs certain industries they don't care you know the blue collar world is very very acclimated to uh the idea of hiring uh former prisoners uh the white collar world isn't but uh there's also an incredible demand for developers right (laughs) uh and so it's like well you know if you could get a developer that um was hungry but from a really non-traditional background i.e uh i spent 10 years in prison um you could probably, as a company, I mean, there's a pragmatic thing there where you could save money, right? It's like, well, these people, they're hungry. You can bring them in at a lower rate um, 
to offset the uh, increased risk of hiring them. Uh, but um, you can get a lot of benefit as a company hiring them. You can get a lot of benefit as, as a prisoner getting a job because, you know, uh, if you get a job making $40,000 a year as a developer or right out of prison, that's a really good job out of prison. Um, that's not working at Tim Hortons. You know, that's that's not that's not uh, a food, you know, service sector job. And so getting in there and helping them do these sorts of things is something that was really. Uh, um, it's just, it was it was a good way to be a part of the solution. Uh, and uh, teach things. And um, it's it's really cool. Uh, it was really cool going into the prison because uh, the, the first time I went. It was. Uh, we, we had a uh, we were doing a, what's called a coding in the clink. It's like a code retreat in prison. And wow. you, you go in there and you go into the prison, you're walking and it's like there's bars everywhere. Not everywhere, but there's lots of bars and gates and stuff. But a lot of it had a real institutional feel. It, it actually reminded me <laughs> of my elementary school uh, <laughs> of, of all things. And uh, we go back that uh, back to the prison. I meet all these guys. And uh, it's a little weird at first because, you know, it's like we're in a prison. And then you start coding and then you're just you're coding. And coding. You're, pair, you're sitting there pairing with uh, this uh, this uh, this man. And, you know, they were, you know, different skill levels. It's, uh, and you forgot that you were in the prison. And I think that was actually a lot of the appeal for the prisoners who were learning to code in, in this program is that they could forget that they were in prison for a while. They could just focus on their activity. Um, mm. And um, but, yeah, it was it was a great program. I was glad to participate in it. Uh, it's something that's, um, you know, my, uh, you know, my, my father spent time in prison uh, and I've got other family members that spent time in prison. And so there's always been a little bit of a, you, know, you asked the beginning why. And so this is sort of the why I want to do this, not just the practical things, but the sort of the emotional empath empathetic trigger in me that makes me think this is a good idea. Uh, you know, I, I, re I learned early on that people in prison weren't just the bad guys, right? They, they weren't these people that were just undesirable and we're going to warehouse them away so we don't have to have them in our society. Uh, they were just people. And uh, lots of them had made really big mistakes. Uh, a lot of them had regret. Um, I never felt unsafe there, um, which I think is interesting. Um, but they're, they're just people. They're not good guys. They're not bad guys. They're just humans. And, you know, you, you, go, you spend time in a prison and you realize, how, you start thinking, how many steps would it have taken for me to find myself in this place? In, 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 and not as a visitor, but as a, as a guest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and you you start thinking it's not that many steps. There's it's um, you know you could easily see it's like I could be in the wrong place at the wrong time. I could hang out with the wrong people and make a couple of decisions. And next thing you know, oh wow, I'm in jail. I'm in court. I'm in prison. Uh, and then I get out, and then I don't, I have bad job opportunities. And so let's. Help yeah, that. I think this is this is so inspiring because we have millions of our citizens in this country, yeah. but you know, mostly but around the world that are in prison. People have committed crimes. Sometimes they may not have committed a huge crime. Sometimes it's the laws that criminalize minor things. Yeah. The reasons are not important. They're human beings, as you said. And they did some bad things. They probably did some good things as well, but now they're living their lives. So you're going in there, you're 
volunteering your time to teach them a skill that will equip them to be productive in society and and be better. That's 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 awesome. But I'm wondering because when I'm doing programming, right? Well, I'm teaching my kids. The first thing I need is the internet, because because you need to look up APIs, you need to look up documentation and <laughs> a video of somebody doing it. I didn't think you could get internet in the in the prison. Uh, you so you can't. <laughs> So how did it work? Uh, it turns out the compilers work just fine without the internet. Uh, ah. <laughs> and so um, I don't know how long you've been writing software, but I've been doing it for about 25, a little more than 25 years. And so early on in my career, it was all books. You know, I didn't have the internet right. at the very beginning of my career. Um, I had books. And so, and I had the manuals that came with my tools. So I had like the C++, uh, Borland's Turbo C++. Um, actually, I still got it back there on my shelf. <laughs> That's nice. You can see it really well because of the red lights. But, um, but with Bor I love your lights. Thanks. I want those. I I want lights like that. Thirty five. Let's bucks talk about on it Amazon. after this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. But, hmm, but no, you you made it look good. But, All right, let's keep going. But yeah, but um, but you know, so you'd open it up, and then manuals would tell you how the language worked, and tell you how the compiler worked, and you would uh, learn things that way, uh, and you, you had to do it the hard way. And then you, you memorize things. Uh, you know, I had to learn yeah. things. I mean, you know, we kind of use Google as a crutch, right? We do. Uh, where it's like, <laughs> oh, what's that command to do this thing? I'll just Google it real quick. Oh, yeah, there it is. Copy, paste. There we go. And I'm sort of just like yeah. using it as like an extra set of like extra memory banks. Right. Um, right. And uh, but so they just have books and they have the APIs, the reference material over there. Mm -hmm. So which which languages are you teaching them? Oh uh, well, uh, uh, I'll, I'll say past tense because we're not doing that program anymore. It was shut down, okay. unfortunately. But um, uh, in, a, in, a, in an episode that made international news, actually. Uh, wow. <laughs> but um, no, um, we would uh, start out when Dan was just teaching them Java, mm. uh, and then I came in and started teaching JavaScript. And so JavaScript yeah. without internet, that is, yeah, obviously it works, but yeah, well, they, but it, it's, it's a different thing for me. I, cause I could never imagine it. And you're right because we are spoiled. Yeah. We, we just, because JavaScript keeps changing, but, but it doesn't change as much as you can certainly yeah. do all of that. That's well, good. Well, the, the, the consideration there, the reason we chose the languages we did, uh, was because we didn't know how long it was going to be between, um, uh, you know, the training that we were giving them and their release. Yeah. And so, you know, some of the guys we're working with had, you know, you know, sentenced 15 to life, 30 to life. It's like they might get oh. out. Um, and when they did, uh, we needed to make sure that there was a language they would be able to find a job in. And, yeah. you know, and Java and JavaScript are not going anywhere. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's you know, Java's sort of I'm probably going to uh, anger some people here, but Java is the new COBOL. Right. It's the enterprise language that's going to be there forever. Uh, and I, I JavaScript's on that same path. Um, and so we felt these were good languages to uh, focus on. It's like, well, we can yeah. get, and there was, you know, we would bring in, we had a, a, a thumb drive that we could bring in with uh, code. And so we would load Git repos with uh, uh, like open source libraries and stuff, stuff like that on it. Oh, nice. So they were able to actually get uh, code and uh, modern libraries in and stuff. And they had a network internally awesome. that they used. Uh, so they were able to do network programming. They just had to set up their own web servers oh. and stuff. I like it. At least somebody's thinking, uh, you know, because all of these, this infrastructure would have to be there. 
someone would have brought it in, made some effort. So it it's uh, it's good to know. Yeah. That it's not just a place where you just rot. It's you can yeah. do something productive. That's good. That's awesome. And and then they would be able to practice and hopefully even if they even if it ends up being so that they never get out or they never get a job, you did your part. So that's that's yeah. really awesome. Yeah, I appreciate. Well, that. some of them have gotten out since you know I, I was part of that program. It's been it's been a few years since uh, we participated in that program. Uh, there was a another program in the prison that resulted in uh, all of the computers being removed from the prison, which pretty much killed the program. Um, okay. Yeah. It, what is like something bad happened? Yeah. Well. I don't know if I want to spend the whole time t- telling the story, but it is a good story. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to know the story. Uh, yeah, I think Let's everyone's going to want to know. So um, what happened at the prison, and you can Google the story. It, it was on the verge and everything. It made C- uh, BBC. Um, what happened was is there was a computer recycling program. Not mm-hmm. to recycle the parts, but to like find the steel and the gold and, and those sorts of things. Oh. Uh, to, you know, to get the, the recyclable materials out of old computers. Uh, and some of the inmates that were in that program, completely unrelated to the program I worked with, uh, cobbled together two PCs and got them on the prison network by uh, wiring them in via Ethernet. Mm. And then uh, they got one of the uh, correction officer's credentials and uh, was able to use it to get onto the Internet and to get onto the prison network as well. Wow. And so they got into the uh, the. Uh, the um, ODRC's uh, network and found uh, inmates that had, were very young and didn't have any credit, but had like really long sentences and started opening credit cards in their name and sending them out to drop boxes out in, in the outside world. People pick up the cards, max them out, lather, rinse, repeat. Uh, <laughs> oh, wow. And uh, it all came down. They were uh, getting away with, they were hiding it. It was like, uh, the, it all came down because uh, they decided to uh, download pornography using this correction officer's credentials uh, to distribute within the prison as contraband. And um, the uh, corrections officer got it, said, Hey dude, why are you looking at this stuff at work? His boss came to him (laughs) and um, (laughs) he's like, what are you talking about? I'm not doing that. And they looked at the logs and found out he wasn't even in the prison when it happened. And then they started investigating wow. and, and found it out. And so once they found that, the the, uh, the group that was doing that, they shut down anything computer related in the prison and our program ended. So, but, mm. uh, but it's, it's really, I mean, in some ways it's, it's, it was really clever. Right? <laughs> 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 yeah, pro- props for the cleverness and the ingenuity, uh, which you see a lot in prisons. Uh, people can be very uh, resourceful because uh, yeah. they just don't have a lot to work with. Um, but that is a very, very interesting story, but you know, there are characters everywhere, but when you were in, in prison, you, you don't have as many rights, so it's easy to, to lose rights. Uh, but again, uh, you know, I, I understand, uh, both points of view, but yeah, I hope that there, you know, uh, we find a way to offer these services, programming, computer services, and and teaching these types of skills to all people, including our prison population, but also minorities, also women and, and children. Even uh, everybody should should know, get a little taste of this. And 
It's not yeah. for everybody, but for some people, it would be the right thing. Well, so. it's you know that's part of the point of education in a way. Touch a lot of things and see what sticks. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> does this uh, does this grab your interest? Uh, check that out. You know, <laughs> um, and that's why that's why that's why you have that diverse education. And that's the whole point. Yeah. Uh, I took a bunch of music class in school. Uh, I don't have any interest in being a musician. <laughs> but lots of people took it, but, and then they 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 at the very least have a they, hobby that they, they did, maintain yeah. their entire life. Yeah, uh, oh, I have a lot of interest, uh, and I have been learning on my own, and I am pretty a pretty bad musician. Yeah, <laughs> but I I but I love this stuff. <laughs> so, um, all right, so let's talk about your your origin story. Why are you even interested in this? I know that in your family, in your neighborhood. And among the people you know, there will not there would not have been a whole lot of people, my guess, that would have been software developers or programmers or people who wanted to make the computer do things. For me, that was the case, and for most people that I know, that is the case. In general, people, you know, it's not a thing that everybody aspires to. Yeah. But but you did get into that, and so the question is, when did you start? When did you write your first program, and and what inspired you? Why are you why were you ever interested in this? You know, I, I sort of describe my interest in programming as a, more of a calling than a choice. Oh wow! Right, um, which which makes it sound very you know reverent, right? <laughs> <laughs> like I, I have a holy command. I'm on a mission from God to write all the code. Yeah, <laughs> but um, <laughs> but that's really kind of how it was. Uh, I, I have the, uh, I, I was very fortunate that at a young age, I knew what I wanted to do when I grow up. And I, I know I, it took me a long time to realize that that was, that was unusual. Uh, I remember being, um, I remember the moment where I made the decision, well, not the moment it was, I was in the fifth grade. I was like 11, 10, 10 or 11. However, however old you are when you're in the fifth grade. <laughs> and I, I'm like, I'm going to be a computer programmer when I grow up. And that, and then I pursued that. Um, wow. It was, um, and so uh, it wasn't. The the interest is deep and old. I, uh, as a kid, I found a. I was always interested in science and geeky stuff and space and technology, and that sort of stuff. The sort of sort of the standard, in some ways, uh, the standard nerd nerd upbringing. Um, but but not the standard nerd upbringing in, in the upbringing sense, but in just sort of the, the sort of the origin story of geeky kid likes geeky things. Right. That's that's sort of my origin story. Uh, but I found a book um, that I, I wish I could remember the author's name. Um, I'm, I'm sure she's she's long gone, honestly, um, called It's Basic. I think her name was Shelley something or other. I've got a I've got a scan of the cover of it that I, I found online. It's called It's Basic. And it showed how to write uh, computer programs, and it was the basic and with line language? number basic. So this is like 1982, right? Mm. <laughs> um, and so it's line number basic, you know, ten print guy, twenty go to ten, right? Yeah, <laughs> that kind of stuff. And, I did that. That's how I started. And uh, I didn't have a computer, and we didn't have any computers in my school. Uh, the mm. first computer that I ever wrote code on was a. Mm -hmm. uh, Commodore 64, it might have been a Commodore VIC-20, that I found in a Kmart that was on display hooked up to a TV for you to try it out. That was the mm -hmm. very first place that I ever wrote code was in a Kmart. 
Uh, yeah. <laughs> and I would just, you know, I poke it and make it do things. And then when I got into uh, into junior high school, we actually had computers in the library, and I spent a lot of time learning how those machines worked. Um, but it was all, you know, as a kid, it was all self-taught. Um, mm. Programming wasn't something you did on these little computers. Like professional programming was COBOL, and it was on mainframes, right? Mm-hmm. At this point in time. And, uh, but that wasn't what I was learning. I was learning all this other stuff. I think at the time, if I had known anyone that coded and gotten advice from them, it would have, would not been good advice because they would have, they would have been looking at it from a current business model lens of what real programming is. And I, I basically learned on toys. That's <laughs> kind of what these, these computers were. I mean, they, you could, they were real computers. You could program them, but you know, not a lot of people were doing business on them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they were toy computers for kids to learn to code on, but they were the foundation that then led to all the other things that I learned. It was the very beginning, starting out there in line number basic. Yeah, it was accessible. And that's how, <laughs> funny, that's how I started. Yeah. And when I started, I, I started on GW basic and I didn't have a computer either. Yeah. <laughs> so I used to I used to code on a notebook. I did the same thing in graph paper on graph paper <laughs> so that it would all be fixed with columns, you know, <laughs> actually the guys no. in the prison did similar stuff. Um, when oh, the computers nice. got taken away, they wanted to keep coding. And so they would uh, read the books and write out code on paper and uh, to, to test out the ideas that they had. So that's, that's the, one of the best ways to learn. Yeah. So then you get to get the chance to execute your code mentally. Okay. What happens next? And what happens next? And, I think it would be for simple programs, the types of things that I used to do. That That's really awesome. Okay, so you were interested in fifth grade, which is pretty early. Yeah, it is. And you said, okay, I just want to be a programmer or I want to do computer programming because it's fun. You don't have the computer. And those days, you know, you had, you're talking about the Commodore 64. A lot of people don't know what that is. This is like a PlayStation. Yeah. <laughs> but you can actually do, you can actually do programming that because you had a keyboard and you could actually uh, type in a game or something, right? In in BASIC or some whatever language. I think you use BASIC uh, as a as standard programming language, right? Yeah, yeah. And then you and you could just type it in. Maybe you could find it in a magazine, a program. You type it in as is, and that would do something. And then you can then play with it. I think a lot of people did that. Yeah, but then it's a it's a common story for uh, uh, us folks who are in their forties and fifties that <laughs> are writing software. <laughs> yeah. So, so what happens after that? You probably got the chance to get your own computer, probably another Commodore, or maybe you got a PC. Uh, actually, I didn't get my first computer until 1990. Uh, so, so like eight years time. later. So you, <laughs> so you actually used the the one in your school, maybe the library, but you would have used an IBM PC, I I'm guessing. I started using an IBM PC. My first time I touched an IBM PC, I was a senior in high school. It was 1989. Uh, okay, so and, so you were using probably Commodore sixty four the whole time. Yeah, we uh, yeah. So this I just used whatever was available at the schools, and so yeah. I used the Commodore sixty fours, Commodore one twenty eights. Right. When I went, and then because because the language was the same across, so yeah. you didn't have to actually learn a new platform right now. Well, when I, I so I went to the vocational school. Uh, mm. Like most people, you know, you go to college, right? You, you take your four years of college prep stuff, and then you go to college, right? And then you study right. your engineering, whatever, and then you. You graduate and you get a job. That's the that's the, the path, right? The path. <laughs> um, uh, that's not what I did. 
um, I went to two years of high school and then I said, you know, I'm going to go to the vocational school and study electronics because this is cool. And I, I and I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to afford to go to college or not. I'm not sure how that's going to play out. And so I want to have a backup plan. I want to have a backup skill. And it's in the same field. It's related. Right. But it was in some ways it was just drilling down to the next level on how computers work. I, I wanted to know how they worked. And so it's like, OK, well, I know how to program this thing. And um, I learned a little bit of machine language. And then I went to vocational school. We studied electronics. And so you started learning how the, how the transistors worked and how the memory worked and how logic gates worked and how, you know, how to build adders and all, all that lower level stuff. And we actually did uh, programmed microcontrollers, uh, pr programmed the same microprocessor as the, uh, the Commodore 64 on a, on a circuit board. And, uh, but going to the vocational school uh, is not the college path generally. <laughs> that's the, uh, I'm going to learn how to weld and then I'm going to be a welder, which is a perfectly fine career. Uh, welders mm -hmm. are doing quite well right now, actually. <laughs> um, and, uh, so my teachers were aghast that I was not going to, it's like, but guy, you're the, you're, you're the chosen one. You're going to, you're going to break the cycle of poverty <laughs> and go off to college. And I'm like, well, but this is really cool. And I want to learn this. And, you know, this doesn't mean I can't go to school. I just, you know, and, um, so then I, I went there and, and got deeper into the tech and, and I touched uh, Apple computers there for the first time. Uh, I learned Pascal um, as, as part of like a high school um, college exchange at the local university. And I learned, um, I, I, I actually touched an old TRS-80. We had an old one that had been donated to us. So I was playing with that. And, um, and then uh, you know, from there, I, I applied to college and I, I ended up getting a scholarship to go to DeVry. And so that so I could afford school. Um, and so there's there's a lot of luck. And but there's also been uh, in, in these things that happened. It's like I, I had a lot of luck, but I also had a lot of choices I made to, to steer in a particular direction uh, that got me to DeVry. And then I, when I got to DeVry, I bought my first computer uh, because I got my first credit card. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Yeah, so I bought a computer with it. And that, that made school a lot easier. And so I went through college at DeVry and, uh, and then got a job as a COBOL programmer uh, when I graduated, uh, the week I graduated from DeVry. Um, and so it's, you know, in a lot of ways, I've, I've had a, it's a weird path, but in some ways it's a traditional path, but it's, uh, there's some lucky breaks in there, but there's, there, but there was also a, this is just what I was, I set a long-term vision to say, this is what I want to do. And mm -hmm. as a child, I'm like, I'm going to be a programmer. And so when I went to high school, I'm like, I'm going to take typing because I'll need to know how to type to be a programmer, even though it was all manual typewriters, right? <laughs> <laughs> not using computers at all. But I knew it would mm -hmm. end a transfer. Um, and so there was lots of long term choices that I made to get me to where I'm at. Um, and so my mom actually tried to, you know, sorry, mom, if you're listening. Uh, she feels bad about this, but she actually tried to discourage me from going to college uh, because oh. she uh, felt that we could have that I, there was no way I'd be able to pay for it. Um, so, um, but I went anyhow, and it worked out, and I got a scholarship, and so that was very fortunate. That's, that's really awesome. So there are a couple of things here. One is that you did go to Devry now, which is a kind of a non-traditional yeah. college. And I think it focuses more on skills, 
perhaps my my guess is that it's uh it's skills not less theory. right and, and so it's still job focused which is which is interesting i know people who have studied at devry and they're excellent i haven't had any i haven't found many people that um went to that college and were not good right that that doesn't happen uh, usually in my experience so my first question is did that actually help you in your work to go through that four year of college uh the the main thing i got two i got two main things out of well actually i got three things the main things that i can think of out of college at devry one is, mm -hmm. is i got a receipt right and so I, I say that with a little bit of jadedness right uh, the i've got I, I got some sort of paper that said he's been through this thing and therefore, it's sort of like, especially in, I graduated in college in 1994. If you didn't have a degree in 1994, it was hard to get a job as a developer. I don't think we were even calling us develop. We were still just being called programmers back there. They didn't use the software developer term. Um, that was like, uh, uh, yeah, IT was called in, uh, information technology. It was previously called information systems. And before that, it was called data processing. And before <laughs> that, it was called accounting. <laughs> um, but this is like yeah these, these terms is, they fascinate me yeah go ahead um, and so you know my first job out of college I had to wear a suit yeah it's like I didn't know a how to suit. wear a suit I grew, I grew up in a trailer park <laughs> uh, I, didn't, I didn't know but anyone if you wear a suit now yeah. <laughs> um, if you go to a job wearing a suit I don't know I think you'll be laughed out of the building yeah I, 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 I don't even I, I, I think I own one tie yeah, <laughs> I do have a suit jacket. <laughs> yeah, we don't do that anymore. Yeah, but, I mean, but I wear, yeah, the this world is what I normally changed. wear to work. Well, this is where I work, so you know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No one cares what I wear, but um, yeah. Sorry, I lost the thread of what, what question I was answering. I got too many uh, distractions there. I know. I I interrupted you. Sorry about that. So you went in there uh, wearing a suit to your your job. Yeah. Your job interview, I guess. Yeah. I, I had a few interviews. Um, the nice thing that was happening there, and I, I think this is this was a cool thing that happened in that time period, and I feel like it doesn't happen as much as it used to, and I think this is actually a really a shame, is that uh, the people that were interviewing, they would go to DeVry and say, we want to hire a couple new grads. Hmm. Uh, we're looking for new people, you know. And so there was sort of this uh, ethic of let's get some developers that are green and bring them in and teach them how to work. Right. And I, I think you see less of that than you used to, um, yeah. which I, th I think is, um, well, I think it's incredibly foolish of industry because um, if everyone must have at least five years of experience at your company, then uh, eventually you won't, gosh, why are you having trouble finding people to hire? Right? <laughs> <laughs> right? Uh, yeah. Not all companies do that, but you know, that is a pattern I've seen. And I, I'm sure that, that people is watching a this podcast are, uh, saying, oh, yeah, yeah, he's right. He's right. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, everybody, uh, entry-level job with two-year experience. That is, that's a pretty common thing. Yeah. Uh, Even yeah. for interns, they want experience. Yeah. And and they were specifically looking for someone that was just right out of college. And they, you know, I actually had a couple different interviews when I was at DeVry. They, DeVry had a good placement program. I know a lot of the boot camps have those sorts of placement programs right. as well. Um. But I had, I got a job my last week of school. 
And then I took a week off and went on a vacation and then I started my job. And so that's incredible. So a lot of people listening and watching right now, they're like, hey, how did he do it? How did I do it? Like they're going through maybe they're in, in their senior year in college and they're like, I don't have any job offers. Did you have to do in some internship before did you apply a year ahead of time? How did you? Uh, I, I didn't that? do any internships. Uh, there were people that did those and uh, and uh, they all had very positive experiences with those. Uh, I actually worked as a TA at the university. Mm -hmm. um, and so um, I think that helped some uh, because it was, well, you know, it's like, OK, I'm not only am I learning this stuff, but then I'm turning around and I'm teaching and tutoring it. And so right. you see someone's got that on their resume that helps. It's like if you can teach the thing, then you have to know the thing. And by teaching the thing, you learn it better. You know, that, that's an old old adage is, is you, know, you want to learn something really well, mm -hmm. uh, teach it. And, and so I think that helped. Um, I did extracurricular stuff too. I, uh, and, and I actually, um, the job I got, uh, they told me afterwards, one of the reasons they hired me, um, was because I, uh, they said, when you get a bunch of new hires or a bunch of greenhorns out of school, right? Their resumes mm -hmm. all look the same. <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, I'm green. I went to school here please hire me. Right. That's, that's kind of mm -hmm. how it looks. And so, um, and I think this is a useful nugget for people who are watching. Um, I had things that s made it stand out and separate me from the crowd. Mm. So, uh, not only was a, t a TA, which I think helped, or if you had an internship, that would help obviously. Um, but I, uh, I had run a computer bulletin board. Mm. Uh, and, uh, so this was, uh, back in the dial up, internet days mm. pre-internet really i mean the internet mm -hmm. existed but it wasn't mainstream right um, we're talking about a, a bulletin board service a bbs so yeah. you you were running a, a bbs people would dial in yep. using their regular telephone lines which is a thing that a lot of people may not know what it is anymore but used to be that we used to be able to need to talk to people using actual cables yeah yeah <laughs> Because my kids have no idea that such a phone exists, yeah. but okay. <laughs> so, okay. So, uh, so I ran that. You, you were running a BBS and that actually, a BBS is a place where people could share files and talk to each other and all that. So it's kind of like a forum is that, today, like a right. forum. Only, it's only, like a forum. Only it was only local people because they had to dial in and they didn't want to pay right. long distance to call and dial mm -hmm. into boards that were far away because long distance, you know, you're talking like seven cents a minute, you know, you spend right. half an hour on there and all of a sudden... In and while you're in connected to the that's a lot of money. Uh, <laughs> and while you're connected to the BBS, you're nobody can can get a call. So your mom's yelling at you. You're holding up the phone. Yeah. <laughs> you were <laughs> Well, and there wasn't a call way to get either. So there wasn't a <laughs> they couldn't beep in, right? It was just they, people get a busy signal. Right. Uh, but yeah, so I ran this bulletin board um, for several years and I had built up about 500 users in the in the Columbus metro area. Wow, and um, and so That's I huge. put that on my resume because it's like, well, this is a related thing that I did, and and yeah. the uh, the woman who uh, uh, one of the women who interviewed me, she said that uh, that was one of the reasons why they hired me and why they looked at my resume in the first place was because it was, she specifically said, all these resumes look alike, because they're all just new grads, uh, right. and usually it's uh, went to college, worked at Arby's, right? You know, <laughs> that tends to be how these <laughs> resumes look. Um, yours had, um, this extra thing on there, this extracurricular activity that was technically related, uh, that, um, gave, uh, 
they said, well, let's talk to this guy because he's you know, pun not intended. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> because uh, he, because because it shows that you first of all you took initiative, but you're managing something technical. Yeah, it's a technical thing. You're 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 configuring software at least. You know, so that's yeah. great. So I, I think so that that's what. A lot. So. That that's how it helped you get a job, but the job itself was doing COBOL. Yes, it was. I'm not sure how exciting that was, but but it was a job, and you you know and what was you really got paid was getting the biggest what? paycheck I'd ever gotten in my life. Yes, exactly. <laughs> that was really exciting. Um, getting getting a good amount of money and right out of college, and and you probably didn't have to get a get a student loan because you had a scholarship. That's actually, wonderful. Actually I did you did. Okay. I had a half tuition scholarship. It wasn't a full tuition scholarship. Okay. Uh, so no, that's good. It's good to have a college with about thirty thousand dollars in student loan debt in nineteen ninety four. Yeah, so, that's a lot. That was. That a is lot. a lot. Yeah. But there are a lot of kids right now that that are going into even more debt, hundreds of thousands of dollars, because they want to go to this particular college, and maybe it's out of state or maybe it's a private college, and. They think getting that degree will give them a leg up and it's worth the investment. Obviously, that's why people do it. Yeah. At least if you are interested in becoming a software engineer, a software developer, or work in this computer industry, I'm not entirely sure that's a wise investment. But personally, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't yeah. spend $100,000 to get a degree from college A where I could do it for 30,000 from college B. I'll probably go to college B because you know, well, there's it's not going to translate into income. 5 years into my career, no one cared about what college I went to. Yeah, and nobody asked you, right? Yeah, no one uh, um, I mean, at at that point, people still cared about whether I had a degree or not. Right. But they didn't care where it was from. Got a bachelor's, we're good. Um, yeah, I, I don't think and a lot of times they don't even care. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it doesn't even matter if you have a computer science degree per se. It's they just want to know if you finished college. A lot of people have this checkbox that they have to. Yeah. Uh, okay, you you did college check. So it's just like a, a gatekeeper will tell you, you need a college degree to get through the gate. But the person hiring you, the manager that needs a a person on their team, they don't care. Yeah. Nobody ever asked me. Uh, you know, uh, when, I, when I interview people, I care about three things. <laughs> yes. Can you do the thing? Will you do the thing? <laughs> and do you play well with others? Those are the three things I care about. Um, that's amazing. But, well, that, because that's the job. That's not right? what people are thinking. The people listening to you right, right now, I guarantee you that a lot of them they're surprised by that answer. So so please elaborate a little bit. So I want people to, to realize how how meritorious or, or meritocratic, if that's the word, it is this, this software thing is. <laughs> if you are good and you can prove, prove that you are good and you want to work in that team, people will look at you, right? Yeah. So please explain. So, uh, yeah, so I'll restate the three things. Can you do the thing? It means do you have the skills? Uh, but it's it's really more it's more do you have the aptitude? Right. So uh, the, one of the things I say is uh, rent skill, hire talent. So if I'm going to bring someone into my onto my team, I want someone that's um, can think. I want someone that uh, I don't want someone that's just memorized Java. 
right? right? I, I want someone that knows Java, can do Java. Memorizing is not a terrible thing to have done, um, but is able to uh, apply their skill to other things. So right. it, it's that the ge the general technical skill, not the specific technical skill uh, mm -hmm. that I tend to want. Uh, I, I'm unconventional in that I tend to favor generalists. Mm. Uh, because if you, if you give someone that's a, a technical generalist, uh, then you're, you're just more nimble as an organization, right? Okay. You, you, it's like, you get someone that it's like, well, they can do that. Um, you know, there's that Jack of all trades, master of none statement, but there's a second part of that statement that they never say. It's the full what thing is, is Jack of all trades, master of none, though oftentimes better than master of one. Oh, right. So, uh, so it's, it's a, compliment. that's what it is. Nobody ever told me. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's a compliment actually. <laughs> right. Um, but so I tend to look for those kinds of people. That's me. Uh, some company, some companies, um, are looking for skills. You know, they just want a specific skill, but, uh, I've gotten a lot of value out of being a generalist in my career. I've been able to hop to a lot of different jobs and I didn't get stuck as a COBOL programmer. I went from COBOL to C++, uh, which is perhaps the most radical shift that uh, anyone has ever done in a career, I, I, in the history of all humanity, probably. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, um, but can you do the thing, right? Do you have the skills? Do you have the aptitude? Um, do you, and, and, I, and I use that term skill loosely in that thing. It's can you do the thing? I need you to write code and solve my technical problems. Can you do that? Great. Check one. <laughs> um, the, the, uh, the, the next one is, uh, uh, will you do the thing? That's a, that's a personal attribute. Are you a reliable person? Mm. You going to show up? <laughs> right. Um, lots of times uh, the recruiters can weed those people out before you get to that step. Right. Um, right. Uh, job history tends to show that. Um, those sorts of things. But, uh, will you do the thing is, a, a, is a measure of, uh, just what's your work ethic like? Is it okay? Is it bad? Is it good? Um, uh, you know, I don't know that I have a lot of elaboration on that particular point. I think it's pretty clear, honestly. Right. Uh, right. It, it's, I mean, th these are things you about all jobs. If I'm, if I was hiring someone to work in a fast food place, can you do the thing? Well, most people can do the thing at a fast food restaurant. Will you do the yeah. thing? Okay, well, are you going to show up? Can I put you on the schedule and have you be here? Um, and then the plays well with others. Um, you know, you might be a genius and you might be super reliable, but if you're a jerk, no one's going to want to work with you. <laughs> Life's too short for talented um, a-holes, right? <laughs> you just don't want to... Yes, you get someone that's very talented and capable... And uh, and really diligent, they can do a lot, but they can also damage a lot of teams. Right. And so, uh, so you know, those are the things I look for when I'm interviewing. Uh, can you do the thing? Will you do the thing? Do you play well with others? Um, and I think they're in reverse order. Like, uh, okay, you know, the the first one I said I think is the least important. Uh, I think the most important thing is, do you play well with others? And then the next mm -hmm. most important thing is, uh, will you, are you reliable? Right. And then do you have the technical skills? 
Because if you've got okay. the aptitude, but you don't have specific skills, you can learn. Right. That's the key here. I, I think that but, for people who are who have not been exposed to software development as a as a as a discipline, and who don't go to meetups, don't meet other people, they and I meet a lot of people like that. They 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 think they don't. They have to. They have they have to get permission from somebody. They have to go to a four year college, or somebody has to certify them in order for them to make themselves eligible for programming software development a job if they want to work do some data science or something else they need a credential but what what you're describing is is perfect because a lot of times in the industry we we know we can teach you or you can teach yourself the skills because that is not that hard and it takes many years to to be good at something but it's not very hard to get started and be productive yeah. But what's very hard to find are people who are able to learn, who are reliable, as you're saying, who will actually persist and, you know, you can depend on them. That's really what it is. It's common sense. It's human nature. But uh, it's one of the few industries where you don't really need a credential. You couldn't yeah. do that uh, in, in any other form of engineering even or, or other medical science or other kind of sciences. You, you couldn't do that. Uh, in all, fa in all fairness, in the case of like, uh, you know, structural engineering or, uh, say, a heart surgery, the stakes are a little bit higher. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes there's stakes. You're, you're absolutely right. The stakes are sometimes high in software, too. I have I've actually I sh I shut down a experienced this myself <laughs> where, where some very serious, serious software is being made by people who don't know what they're doing. Yeah. So I've seen that. But so there's there's some there's some cautionary tales there. However, you could do it. People will hire you to build a serious, a very critical financial application if they think you you know you will grow with the team. They'll they'll hire you. Yeah. And you'll get it put in the door. You couldn't do that in any other place. So that's very good. So now we know that a way to get into the to the industry is to have the right attitude, to have the skills but not really be so solely focused on one skill and necessarily be want to be the expert in that one thing because the landscape changes the sands shift right you might you might be very good at something and that thing may not be a cool thing anymore or you may have a, a great job in a great company with great people with using something different but if oh. you're not wedded to a technology, that's okay. They'll probably hire you, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, and let's. I mean, how many times have you been at work and you didn't know what you're doing? <laughs> right. <laughs> hey, could you do this thing? Yeah, I can figure it out. I mean, the job isn't actually knowing how to code, like it isn't knowing how to use the tech. It's knowing how to figure out tech. You know, that's what, what, what you know. I, I'm going to use a new JavaScript framework. Um, because and I haven't used it before, but I can be productive because I can figure it out. You know, yeah. it's, it, it, that's a lot of it. And so yeah, I, you remember back during Y2K, uh, <laughs> everyone was terrified that like gas lines were going to explode and airplanes were going to fall to the sky. Um, yeah, because everyone's on an airplane on New Year's Eve at midnight. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, that was that was the feeling. Um, right. I wasn't that worried because. Um, I think the rest of the world doesn't realize how often software engineers don't know what they're doing. <laughs> and I, the rest of the world doesn't realize how often uh, software fails. Right. 
um, you know, it's like I, at the time I worked for. Um, oh no, I didn't work there yet. A, a friend of mine worked for a large insurance company, and uh, I, I started working there a few months later. And uh, he had to stay on the uh, on on. He had to be at the office in case anything broke uh, during the annual batch runs, uh, because they would run batch processes every year or, you know, for like yearly policy renewals and that kind of stuff. And everyone's like, Oh, it's going to fail. It's going to fail. It's like, well, no, this stuff fails all the time. That's why we have people on call, right? <laughs> this is just, <laughs> these things fail a lot. You know, that's not unusual. Now, now do you want that to happen? Well, of course not as a developer, you want to make yeah. software that doesn't fail, but it's going to happen. Uh, I, right. I, I mentioned it in passing. I shut down an entire warehouse uh, because we <laughs> deployed code and all of the packages that were being routed to West Virginia would not get routed there. They were backing up on the line and they clogged up the entire uh, 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 package line, whatever. I can't remember what you call it. The It's not the assembly line, but, you know, uh, in the warehouse. And, you know, and I'd been writing software for 15 years at that point. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we're human. We make mistakes. Yeah. We overlook things, and all of us have have been through that. It's a horrible feeling, but you know, we get past it. Okay, so now wrapping up, let's talk about where you are now. What do you do now? And in you, you started your journey. We kind of understood a little bit of this, and you would have changed jobs over time. You would have worked in different technologies, different languages, and frameworks, and that's just yeah part of normal work life but now you are more mature you are a very different stage in your life what are you doing these days and do you see young people new developers in your organization or where you work and do you see them struggling or do you have anything that you see that they they could do this they could do this or that that a few pointers for them just improve their chances of success? Um, well, uh, I, I'm at Redis Labs now. And, um, you know, most of my career I've spent at um, at businesses that had technology needs. So I worked for an insurance company. I worked for a financial services company. Um, I uh, And I worked in consulting uh, several times. Uh, and in the local area here, consulting means go help you know, the power company build this software, go help this uh, retail distributor do these things, uh, go help this library service do, you know, you, you're, um, you're building software for companies that have a different business purpose. We sell insurance. Uh, we, uh, all, all those other examples, we, we sell clothes, we sell shoes, wh whatever it is. Right. Um, well, I work for a technology company now and that's very different. It's actually kind of new for me. Um, and I'm in a, uh, interesting role in Redis labs because I'm not a developer anymore. I, I've transitioned my career, uh, over the last five years to developer advocacy or developer relations. And so a lot of what I do is, uh, content creation, video creation, uh, public speaking. I go to conferences and talk about technology and specifically talk about Redis technology. Uh, <laughs> and so, um, I'm not a day-to-day -day coder anymore. I'm writing sample code now instead of building actual production applications, which is very different. And uh, a technology company has a very different focus as well because it's all about building the product. 
And and in our case, we have a product that's internal, but then we have the open source product as well. And the open source product is done in its own idiom. And then there's an internal enterprise version of that. And um, and so I don't, I don't really have a great answer to your question because I don't interact with the developers hardly at all. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I work on so, uh, some of the development staff, um, but uh, most of them are overseas. I, I don't see them on a regular basis. Right. Um, Let me ask you another question. Yeah, so maybe we could come at this at a slightly different angle. <laughs> I was gonna, I was gonna pull yeah. back to uh, when I was at right. Killer. I, I so you, with- you've moved to an advocacy position, and you're now, you know, you're, you're telling other developers about your products and so on. But how, how does someone become you? Right. Let's say someone's out there. They're thinking. I want that job. I don't want to work on production code. I wanted to talk to developers. I want to be a developer advocate. And I just want to talk technology and make, make apps and do demos. How do they do that? So, uh, How do they get there? Uh, you, you, you start doing it, uh, which is, you know, oftentimes <laughs> the most unhelpful advice in the world. Just, just do it. <laughs> but, uh, but, but what I mean is, is uh, you don't need permission to go out and do those things. Just like you don't need the, the permission to be a developer, you don't need permission to be a developer advocate. Um, you can just start um, going out to events and say, hey, I want to speak. And you can start making YouTube videos and say, hey, I want to make videos on how to do this code thing. Or you can start streaming uh, you know, live code. Or, uh, you, or you can start a podcast. <laughs> right? um, and you can just go out and do that. Um, that is how I found myself in this career. Uh, I was speaking at events uh, and I was uh, running a user group and just, you know, building community and going out and talking and teaching, just going out and teaching, basically, which has sort of been a theme my entire life. I mean, when I when I was in uh, college, I was a TA. I was helping teach and tutor. And, you know, throughout my career, I find myself teaching other people all the time. And, and it helps you. Like I said at the very beginning, it's like that teaching is the best way to learn. And so... Um, when you have to get in front of everyone and talk about a thing, you want to make sure you know what you're talking about. And so that drives you to learn more. But if you start doing it, um, then people will take notice. Uh, In my case, I uh, wasn't looking to be a developer advocate. I, uh, the job came to me, Uh, but it was a result of years of speaking at events and uh, running a meetup and uh, being active on social media and technical, and technical, technically speaking, and, and social media, right. not not just cat memes on Facebook, but <laughs> um, <laughs> so and so speaking is important. Yeah, it's so not. T- let's the take only our, thing, right? But, it's not the it's not the only thing. Obviously, you need competency, you need curiosity, you need to be able to tinker with things, do little small projects, and and dem- so demonstrate technology and all that. That's all good stuff, and. It's a great thing for me, actually, because uh, I'm a ext- very extroverted person, which is atypical Alaska. for developers. <laughs> which is highly atypical. Uh, I, I, I'm, yeah, I'm most... in many ways not a typical developer at all. Um, and so um, the developer advocacy role allows me to get out and be extroverted and still be technical. Right. And so it's uh, it's a particularly nice role for uh, if, you, if you're, you have that sort of temperament, mm. it's a way to channel it. So if you're out there and you're thinking, well, I'm really good with people. I like to talk to people. You could do that. Start speaking. So finally, before we go, I just want one tip that you can give to new developers who are who are just starting out. And 
they're struggling. It's a lot of stress at work. I see I see that all the time. A new developer, especially if they are it's kind of underrepresented yeah. segments of society, they really struggle. And they struggle silently. So anything you want to say to help them or any pointers do you have for, for people like that? Well, a couple things that come to mind. One is uh, this too shall pass. This is not permanent. This is temporary. Uh, and so, um, you know, you're green. You don't know that much. And you, you, you feel like uh, you're a fraud. Uh, but everyone knows you're green. They, they actually know you don't know anything. Uh, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, it's, 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 it's okay, right? Um, it's, it's okay to, I mean, it's imposter syndrome, right? We've all, we've all heard about imposter syndrome where that, that idea that everyone feels like they're an imposter. I get up on stage and give talks and I feel like I'm a fraud and I've been doing this for 25 years. Uh, and so if you feel like that, that's normal. Uh, don't let it, let it bother you know that, um, if it's particularly difficult because you're green and you're just like, I feel like I, I can't contribute. I feel like I can't get anything going forward. Uh, that that's not permanent. There's, there'll be a point where you, you are contributing meaningfully to the team. It won't be such a struggle. You'll still feel like everyone's smarter than you. Uh, but that's normal. That's how it always feels. We are constantly judging what we see everyone, everyone's outsides against our insides. And so it makes us feel like we're not adequate. Um, that's why pair, things like pair programming are so awkward or they have the potential to be awkward. Why People are reluctant to do it. It's like, well, if I if I sit and code with this person, they're going to know that I don't know these things. Uh, well, you also learn that they, there's lots of things they don't know too. So, um, so, um, you're not a fraud. Um, you'll get there eventually. The, the learning path is starting is more important than anything else. Right. If you start and then you fail, then, uh, that just means you've learned a thing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> don't go down that path. Okay, let's try this one, right? Learning what, where to go and what to do is part of the process and is progress. It is forward progress. So right. so that, that's a lot of advice sort of bundled together in sort of a chaotic way. Hopefully it's useful for folks, but um, that's what I got. <laughs> that's cool. That's awesome. So if I, if I want to say it in my words, I would say persevere, don't give up because the instinct is someone it, it is hard maybe i'm not cut out for it i'll quit so if you don't quit take a deep breath take a break come back don't quit and you'll get through this because we've all been there yeah stay on target use the force yeah <laughs> <laughs> or use the source i guess womp, womp, use the womp. source code. <laughs> <laughs> or um, or go to Stack Overflow. Uh, if anyone else wants any it. other dad jokes, uh, you can find me at GuyRoyce.com. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so how can people get in touch with you, Guy? Because you, you have a Twitch show, and I'd love for people to know about it and how they can get in touch with you. Uh, well, honestly, for the most part, if you just type my name into Google, uh, you will find me. Uh, so I've got a YouTube channel where I put my Twitch streams. Uh, I, Twitch, uh, I stream on Twitch not as often as I'd like to. Um, but I'm going to try and get back into it, uh, this year, uh, as it's, it's, uh, new year's now. So that's new year's resolution is to stream more. Um, mm -hmm. 
And so if you just uh, type Guy Royce into Google, you can even spell my last name wrong. It will still find me uh, because no one else has my name. Um, <laughs> but if you go to GuyRoyce.com, you'll find uh, links to Twitch um, and to YouTube and to LinkedIn and Twitter and all those things. So, uh, yeah, uh, feel free to connect with me on social media. Give me a follow. Give me, you know, watch some of my videos. Tell me I'm awesome. Massage my uh, – <laughs> uh, tell, me, uh, tell me I'm qualified because uh, I need to soothe my imposter syndrome as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we all need to feel good about, about where we are. It's, it's always good to know that someone appreciates what we're doing. So go ahead, everybody, uh, follow Guy in all the social media and watch his Twitch streams. And we're going to have all of those links that he's talking about and anything else that he'd like to share. They will be on the website and they will also be on the description of this video. The website's going to be mentoringdevelopers.com slash episode in the name of the episode. I believe this is going to be 92. So if that's the case, it will be slash episode 92. All the links will be there. We'll see if we can have some show notes there for you. And if you want to talk to us and, and let us know on this podcast, or you want me to send a message to Guy, and if you don't know how to find him, send me an email at us at mentoringdevelopers.com. And I really like to get those emails, and it, I've really been happy to see that this podcast has helped a lot of people and I've also done one-on-one -on -one coaching with people sometimes. Whatever your your problems are, or wh whatever you are in your journey, if you just want to share it or if you want advice, you can always email me privately and we can see what we can do. So us at mentoringdevelopers.com. It was so, so much fun to have you, Guy. Thanks. It was fun to be on. And <laughs> that is, and there's so much to talk about. There's a whole lot of things that we didn't get a chance to get into. Uh, we have been recording this for over an hour. Oh wow! <laughs> so we have to, <laughs> we have to wrap it up for today. But maybe if we get a chance, we'll get you on next time, and we'll talk about something a little bit, you know, about your your process and some of the more some of the other things you're doing. Okay, that'd be great. That's awesome. Okay, everybody, and tune in and uh, send in your comments. Bye for now. Bye. For show notes and transcripts, visit us at mentoringdevelopers.com.